What's up, everyone? This is episode 215 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, uh, I tell you what, you guys have got fanatics on the brain. And I know that for a fact because like half of your questions for this week's mailbag revolved around fanatics. Um, So even though I don't like to spend a lot of time speculating, I'm going to at least try to answer those with some of the facts and some of the history that will help us to contextualize our situation a little bit going forward. Because yes, it does seem like things are ramping up a little bit. So I get it. I understand why. So that will be today's main segment. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Before I get there, though, I do want to give you a quick update on the Beckett label fiasco, or whatever we're calling that now. And if you'll remember, I talked about that last week, and I hoped that Beckett would take measures to finally start listening to collectors. So they put out a post late last week that said, quote, In addition to reading thousands of social media comments made over the past few days, we're launching a hobby-wide survey to understand what you, the collectors, expect from Beckett and from grading. Our company is collector-obsessed, and we want to hear what you think in as much detail as you can share. We're also going to meet with collectors across the hobby, and we'll be hosting focus groups to gather more feedback and comments. Well, I figure it would be foolish for me to lobby for them to start talking to people and then not sign up for the survey. So reluctantly, I went ahead and signed up. To be honest, though, I still have serious doubts about this. Just because they're collecting information doesn't mean they're actually going to do anything with it. It feels a little bit like the whole fool me once, fool me twice thing, except we are way past the second time. They've had plenty of information in the past and plenty of social media comments in the past, and it didn't seem to make much of a difference. So I want to know who at Beckett's actually going to sit there and read this stuff and what they're going to do about it. Because if it's just to say they're listening, in that case, they're not. They're just checking off a box. But nonetheless, like I said, I signed up, so I will play along. All right, before I move into today's listener mailbag, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you... Absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo. And now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, guys. So like I said earlier, you've clearly got fanatics on the brain. And quite frankly, I don't blame you after some of the stuff that's happened over the course of the last week or two. Uh, The big one being on April 4th, NBA Insider Shams tweeted out the following. He said, Fun development. Fanatics is launching basketball cards under its Tops brand, beginning with the 2023-24 NBA season industry sources say. Well, seeing as he is an NBA insider, and he mentioned the next NBA season, a lot of people assume those are going to be NBA licensed cards. I know people jumped all over that real quick 
as I've talked about before, they don't really give things time to marinate. Well, you know, if they had, they would have thought about it. You know, the only problem we really have here, the big problem, the elephant in the room, is that Panini still has the license for the next few years. So either something happened that we don't know about yet, or this is just going to be an unlicensed set of some sort. If I had to guess, right, and keep in mind this is an absolute guess, I'd say they're trying to get Victor Winbanyama, and they're going to try and fill the rest of the set with either other prospects or some of the retired players that they had in the top's finest set we saw not long ago. Now, in addition to this tweet, there was a report that at least a handful of Panini people have left the company to go work for Fanatics. Yeah, on the one hand, common sense tells us they're going to need more people um, to fill spots. They're going to need people that are knowledgeable about the industry, right? But on the other hand, some people feel like uh, Fanatics is really trying to put the pressure on Panini so they can somehow get that NBA license a little earlier. I don't know just how they think Panini is going to, you know, just give that up or hand that over. But uh, anyway, some people think that. I know Darren Ravel tweeted about that not long ago. But this is what happens when you have experts in other fields like Shams or, or Ravel tweeting about trading card news. They don't always understand the nuances of the situation, and they're not really pressing for the facts that will help us fill in the blanks either. So until then, we wait and some people speculate. And like I said earlier, a lot of your questions this week revolved around fanatics. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, let's start with one from Hugo, aka Nebrolian PC, who asks, With fanatics taking over soon, do you expect a new influx of collectors and investors hopping in? They place themselves as one of the go-tos when it comes to fan gear and mainstream memorabilia. They certainly could push ads to promote. Well, uh, my short answer is no, I don't. And, this, you know, this is just about my expectations. Keep that in mind. A lot of this stuff today will just be my thoughts or my expectations and so on. But no, I, I don't think so. Even though they have a lot of visibility in the pro sports landscape that Panini does not, I really don't anticipate a huge rush of new collectors and investors hopping in because as far as collecting goes, I'm convinced you either have that gene or you don't. And as for the investors, if they didn't jump in during this previous boom, I don't think we're going to see them anytime soon. And uh, speaking of the big market boom, Fanatics really went all out during that time frame. They bought a lot of stuff when it was at a high point. When push comes to shove, they might end up licking their wounds like a lot of other people did when things came crashing down. Uh, But who knows? You know, I guess only time will tell. All right, um, Raphael, I collect Wade. Ask, would you rather have a one-on-one tiny window patch of a high-end product or a one-of-one jumbo patch of a cheap product? And he, he got me here. He said, both patches are trim, by the way. And I even messaged him this week. And I said, you know, your question is a good one. It's forcing me to think quite a bit. When I first read it, I thought in my head, hey, yeah, obviously go for the jumbo patch. But then I thought about it a little bit. What if it was a product like Eminence uh, or even back in the day, Exquisite? That at least forces me to have some second thoughts. So this is a good question. It's a good brain exercise. My gut still says to go with the jumbo patch, but it depends on aesthetics. If the design is garbage, I might elect for the smaller patch window instead, uh, which is rare for me, but, you know, it just depends. All right, well, not every one-of-one patch is going to be trim, which moves us into the next question from the Bouvier, who asks, do you think the NBA and Fanatics will take the MLB debut patch and do something similar 
for the NBA rookies. Yes, I do. And it seems relatively easy to implement. It's one small thing they can do that um, it, to say that they're bringing collectors closer to the game. Now, like I said last week, only a small amount of people benefit from that up front, but I hope it's indicative of some of the other stuff they plan to usher in in the years that follow. All right. Uh, the Bouvier also submitted a non-fanatics question. He wrote, I want to know what will you do if the Pacers get the first pick and draft win Binyama? Um, well, the answer is probably all downhill from here because I'm, I'm not going to do anything crazy or make any wild predictions for the franchise moving forward. If anything, I would probably be skeptical about the whole thing. Um, not that I don't think Victor is worthy of being the number one pick because trust me, I want them to get that pick. I want them to pick him, but I try not to be too optimistic about, about my favorite teams. I've allowed myself to get to that place before, and it makes the ensuing reality check even more harsh. And I guess it also doesn't help that the last two reality checks have been pretty harsh in and of themselves. Of course, you had Paul George breaking his leg and then Victor Oladipo sustaining a pretty rare quad injury. So if that happens, right, if they get that pick, if they pick Victor, I'll probably fire off a string of celebratory tweets, right? You got to let me celebrate. I might retweet some AI images of him and Halliburton hoisting the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy, but there won't be much more than that. I think I know better than that by now. Okay, um, ha 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 6969 ask, should Panini or generally any producer stop promoting the use of non-game worn materials? And then he said, in my opinion, it's ruining the purpose of collecting. You are only collecting for collecting. I, I don't quite understand that last part and what he was saying there exactly, but I'll try and answer this one as best as I can. I definitely want to get rid of the unworn stuff. I don't think there's any place for that. I'd rather just have nice inserts if I had to choose. I'm not opposed to player worn, though. And I, I know that's not always a popular stance, but I'm not opposed to player worn as long as it's purposeful and as long as it's done right. So there's a caveat there. And I talked about this at length in episode 145 when I presented six ideas for Fanatics uh, branded memorabilia cards. I sent that to Josh Luber when I wrote it all up. I guess a lot has changed. His assistant said he'd pass it along. I doubt he even touched it, but it doesn't look like it matters now. Maybe I can get that in Ruben's hands. But anyway, point number five of that episode emphasized that meaningful events allow for meaningful event-worn materials, right? And I won't repeat all of that here, but the gist of it was this. Make the draft a big deal again. Make the rookie photo shoot a big deal. And then anytime we have a major milestone and a bunch of legends are in a room together, we need to get some piece of that. A perfect example would have been the 75th anniversary celebration where we had all these old-timers together wearing commemorative jackets, right? The Blazers, have them wear a second jacket and cut that up into cards. It's not that difficult. And to me, that's a meaningful player-worn relic that I want in my collection. Okay, Art Connoisseur wrote, instead of just selling a complete jersey, what if uh, Fanatics did a group break for a jersey that would be cut up into 200 or so cards and made in a patch card similar to Topps Now offerings or part of a patch collector's club? Well, you certainly got my attention with Patch Collectors Club. That sounds like something I would want to belong to. The group break side of it doesn't excite me as much, though, because I always seem to lose out. I found I'm, I'm just better off buying signals instead. But 
Uh, if this was only done a few times, I could see myself joining in on something like this. I, I guess it would be like a hit draft for all the different pieces. If nothing else, it would be worth it just to see the source material and see all the pieces together in one spot. And um, this isn't quite the same thing, but I've always wished I could order a uh, custom order a card using some of the materials that Panini still has on hand. For instance, I'm pretty sure they have at least three Jeff Foster Logo Man pieces stashed away somewhere. I doubt we'll ever see those in cards. Well, why not give collectors or people in the, the Patch Collectors Club the chance to fork over an ungodly amount of money to have the pieces they want put into cards? Uh, I know printing one copy of a card isn't really a good use of funds and, and it you know it's expensive, right? But there has to be some way to do something like that. There was a company called G-Gum that used to do that with slabs. They wouldn't put the pieces in cards, but for example, they had a Kobe jersey or an MJ jersey on hand, and I believe you could have some of those pieces slabbed with pre-existing cards. And I've never ordered any myself, but I do have a handful of these in my collection that I bought on the secondary market. So yeah, maybe it is time that we see something like this again. Okay, Tasty Card Sandwich asks, What are your plans for the National? Any chance you'll set up a meet and greet or meet up so your fans can shake your hand and tell you in person how awesome you are? And he said, asking for myself. I, you know, I don't know if I've formally announced this yet, at least not on this show. I, I think I might have said something when I hopped on Pack to the Future podcast a couple weeks ago, but my flight and hotel are booked. So, and no, it's not Spirit Airlines. I learned my lesson last summer going to Dallas, but I am, in fact, ready for national number three. Uh, looks like I'm, I'm inadvertently developing a pattern of every other year now and all three in Chicago because this for me will be 2019, 2021, and now 2023. Um, there will be no formal meet and greet. So sorry to disappoint the, um, you know, the three or four of you that might want that, but I will be at multiple trade nights and I'm definitely excited about meeting those of you that are loyal listeners to the show. That's one of my favorite parts about heading out to these big shows uh, it's just meeting people, right? And one of the things I felt like I missed out on the most by not going last year. So yes, if you want to say hello, I shouldn't be too hard to find. All right, Better Call Gasol, I like that name. He asked, do you pre-record your podcast intro and Com C shoutouts? Well, for the intros, it really just depends on if I'm recording with someone or what all's going on that week. Sometimes it's hard to get 40 minutes um, to sit and record with no interruption, so it just makes sense to do things a little bit at a time and piece it together. Uh, because really, you know, a 10-minute segment is going to take me way longer than that to to prep and read it and record it and everything. Um, as for the Com C reads, they're recorded every week, even if I'm record um, reading the same thing. In most cases, it's just easier to record the 30 seconds again instead of trying to take an old clip and splice it in and equalize it with the new audio and all that, you know, fancy stuff that I'm not very good at. So um, like this week, for example, I'll just read it as I'm going through the questions, which now would be as good a time as any to do that. So in case those of you who are listening at home didn't know, this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 29 million trading cards from baseball superstars like Aaron Judge to Marvel favorites like Spider-Man. ComC.com has something for every type of collector. Visit ComC.com today to build your collection with your favorite cards. 
Okay, Big J Basketball wrote, I'm sure you've answered a variation of this question not too long ago, but with the Shams tweet, and new rumors of Topps manufacturing basketball cards again, starting with the 2023 season. What are the first five basketball sets you want to see in that initial year? Now, um, assuming these are NBA licensed sets, um, so as I discussed a little bit earlier, it might not be 2023-24. It might be a couple years after that. But in no particular order, I'd like to see Topps, Topps Chrome, Topps Heritage, Topps Big Game for my jumbo patches, and then either Topps Finest or Topps Total. Okay, Houston OM asks, why is sustainability of the hobby never a topic? I mean, from an environmental standpoint, so many packs, slabs, plastic sheets, etc., and nobody seems to care about recycling. Well, I've never spent an entire episode on it, but I did talk about it briefly in a YouTube follow-up to episode 152, and the gist of my answer there was, I don't think we'll completely remove plastic from the hobby, but I do make a conscious effort to reuse just about anything I can. Uh, I've also made YouTube videos about cleaning old top loaders and magnetics. So now full disclosure, my motives are not primarily environmental, even though that is a a good side effect of it, but it's it's more about me being cheap. That's why I reuse everything. But uh, from what I understand though, you know, people are talking about this. I know the topic of sustainability was discussed quite a bit at the recent tops conference. So you know, that's fanatics there, right? It is being talked about. And that also indicates to me that it's something fanatics cares about moving forward, which is a good thing, I think. All right. Owen, aka Cardstocks, ask, what is the best die cut design and what's the worst? Well, there's a lot of options for me to choose from here. Lots of good die cuts in the 90s. Uh, some good stuff from Panini in the early 2010s, too. I think that stuff gets overlooked, by the way, the Panini stuff, but um, out out of everything, the one that impresses me the most is probably 1998 Hoops Prime Twine, which are numbered to 500. Um, They're just so intricate, and you'd think they would come out all creased and mangled when they made them, but I I really didn't appreciate them until I, I owned one myself. I actually found an Eddie Jones in a dollar box about five years ago, and it was in great shape even after all these years, so... Like I said, that one impresses me the most, although it's not necessarily my favorite. That would probably still be 2004 Fleer Showcase Hot Hands, but you know, there are, I'm biased, right? That's because Ron Artest is in the set and it has a refractor like surface that looks really awesome. Now, as for the worst, there's not one that comes to mind immediately. I know a lot of the elite stuff lately has been underwhelming to me, and there's a lot of die cuts there, it seems, and, and a lot of them just seem purposeless. And the cardstock is so flimsy, so I guess I would go with one of those if I had to, but I don't have one specific one in mind. All right, ha ha ha, 69-69, ask with the way how Panini is handling their redemptions, uh, which in parentheses he put very disappointing, what is an acceptable way of releasing redemptions, or should they continue the use of redemptions? Um... I haven't paid very close attention to the redemption situation as of late. I just always assume it's pretty grim. And your question more or less confirmed that. I know Fanatics has said they look to move away from redemptions, which I think is the right move, but also easier said than done. Uh, They did, however, hire Omar Wilkes from the Clutch Sports Group to work with Athlete Relations. 
And then I know the players have more ownership with this new licensing agreement. So there are already some steps in place that look to possibly help mitigate the situation we're currently in. Uh, in addition to that, I think they should scale back on the amount of autographs that uh, they produce in general. Because in a lot of cases, people are waiting on cards they don't really want. You know, it, it's more about the fact that Panini owes them something, right? I, oh, I have this redemption that's been out for so long. Well, you know, do you really want your Leandro Barbosa autograph or whatever it is? I, and, and don't get me wrong. I know there are some high-profile athletes that have redemptions, but a lot of cases, it's cards we don't want or cards that aren't worth much in the first place. And I think a manufacturer can reasonably get away with scaling back on that kind of stuff if they keep exploring ways to bring value to products in other ways. You know, the game-worn patches, right? Make those meaningful. Uh, social media follows. Uh, those sorts of things. Now, the odds of Panini getting all existing redemptions cleared out, though, is a tall task, which segues us to the next question from Russ Westbrook Cards, who asked, what's going to happen to Panini redemptions if Fanatics buys them out? Okay, so keep in mind, once again, this is all hypothetical, but I think it would really depend on the terms of the buyout. And when I saw this question, I was trying to remember if we'd seen anything like this in the last 20 years or so. Well, when Upper Deck took over the FLIR branding, it was pretty much just the intellectual property. All of the physical assets were moved earlier um, with the, the bankruptcy proceedings via an assignee, and, and that was a mess, right? If I remember correctly, you sent your redemptions in and you got one autograph card and two relics per redemption owed, which sounds awesome right? Which sounds great in theory. Oh, you, you know, you turn in one and you get three, but you were getting garbage in return, right? It wasn't the players that uh, you were owed. So I, I plan to do an episode on some of that, some of the FLIR stuff in the future, but there are so many long legal documents that I have to read through again first. So that's on the back burner for now. But uh, the other major company I can think of was when Panini bought Donruss in 2009 and um, that transformed into Panini America. So I think they just really just took over Donner's headquarters there in Arlington. And I asked people on Twitter if they remembered them handling old redemptions. And someone sent me a blowout thread from 2013 where Panini said they'd send a card if they still had it. So every buyout is going to look a little different. And we can't assume they're going to be handled the same way. Uh, there was a while there in the last year where it looked like Panini was more aggressively looking to close some of their redemptions out. A lot of people speculated there was a sale in the works then. I will say this, it looked like some of the signs were there. But like I've said before, I try to stay away from speculative stuff, so I'll leave it at that. But long story short, I don't think we will know what's going to happen with redemptions until we get there. All right, Cardboard Crack 96 asks, What do you have in mind for your collection once you're old and gray? You selling to afford a sick casket? taking your best Jeff Foster with you, goodwilling it all, passing down to a protege, um, and then Hillcrest03 said, I second this question. Well, this is where I need to make it clear that this is an answer and not advice, right? I haven't really thought about this much in the past, and uh, I really don't want to. I don't have any kids right now. I, I, you know, I figure someday I will. Uh, and if I had to give an answer now, I'd, I'd say it would go to them if they're interested but realistically, I don't think there's another person in the world, past or future, that will appreciate this collection that I built more than me. And, and I don't say that to make you think I'm better than anyone else. It's just, 
I'm the one curating it, right? So it only makes sense that, you know, I'm the one that's going to appreciate it the most because practically every card has a story that goes with it. And whenever ownership changes hands, it's unlikely these stories will transfer in full and they won't mean as much to the recipient even if the information's there. So long story short, I don't have any concrete or, or even really tentative plans and uh, in the spirit of keeping this a hobby for me and, and, and stress-free, it's probably going to stay that way for a while. Okay, Zesty Fish one wrote, Not sure if this is a market question, but with so many shill bidders on eBay, how can you be sure you're getting accurate comps for something and not just seeing bids that are inflated and maybe never went through uh, when looking at sold listings for something? Well, I think the simple solution to this would be uh, to, to find as much context as you can and to view as large a sample size as possible. But we all know that that you know, isn't all that simple. And sometimes cards have little to no comps, or sometimes an entire segment of a market is manipulated. Seems like that's gone on with uh, Trey Young stuff, for instance. I think I've heard the Card Ladder team talk about that on the crossover multiple times. So if you've got the time, I think your best bet would be to follow things in real time and monitor cards as they end. Don't get in a hurry. Look for patterns or trends over time. If you don't have the time or it's a card you really need for your collection, you might just have to live with the fact that you're using inflated comps. And I wish there was a better answer to that. Uh, but as far as I know, there's not. And in fact, you know, I know there have been times I've been shilled, you know, and sometimes you just have to deal with it. And I hate it. That really frustrates me. So I, I hate that for you guys as well. Splash Bros Collector asks, Do you think Panini cards will become more wanted, a la 90s cards, when Fanatics takes over? Uh, I think the Panini stuff that's worth gravitating toward, I think people have already latched onto that. We're kind of in a unique situation where even though Panini still exists, the company is a shell of what it used to be. So I can look back on certain time frames like 2012 to 2016, or I can look back on certain products like Innovation or Gold Standard, and I already appreciate them. Uh, now, everyone seemed to love Prism, and now that that's cooled off and has seemingly run its course, um, you know, so this was one of those narratives that was being fed to people by the influencers when the Fanatics news initially dropped, right? They said, oh, the Panini stuff's going to have a finite supply. You, you know, it's going to go up in value. You better stock up on that right now. Uh, well, you know, we've had a lot of Panini stuff over the years. There's plenty of stuff out there. So to me, it, it doesn't look like it's going to take the course they said it would. So you can probably mark that down as one more thing in a long list of things uh, that they've gotten wrong. Okay, last up, we've got Darren, a.k.a. Deputy Dog, who wrote, Topic more than question. A lot of huge collectors, quote, grew up and stopped collecting when Panini took over. I've heard several say they plan to do similar, and he says that he's actually considered that himself. Uh, when Fanatics takes over, I'd like to hear what you think about this in general. Well, uh, if we're talking about stopping all collecting, which is how the question reads in a literal sense, I'd say it's probably time to stop if it doesn't feel like a hobby to you anymore, because that's the whole point of this. It has to be fun. Now, if you mean you're going to stop collecting new stuff, or fanatic stuff, that's an entirely different situation. You mentioned that people did that with Panini as well, and, and I've seen that before. There are plenty of people that will tell you, you know, I only collect pre-Panini stuff. 
Well, looking back, I, I think Panini, for all the stuff that frustrates me, I, I think they've done a lot of good stuff. So anyone that drew a line in the sand there, to me, it feels like they really missed out. And I think the same can be applied to Fanatics moving forward. I think people should stick around for a little bit and, and let this thing play out. Let Fanatics court collectors a little bit and try out different things and you know and see what all's out there. Um, now, I understand putting parameters on your collection, be for financial reasons or to keep you focused or whatever. I think that's a responsible thing to do. But when those parameters become absolutes, right? When you say, I'm only going to collect upper deck or I'm only going to collect panini, I think that's when people start to get tunnel vision and they miss out. And I'm speaking more to the general audience here. Uh, But that goes for a lot of things in life. If you're not willing to step outside your boundaries or at least question your boundaries from time to time, you limit yourself and you miss out. Uh, Now, Darren, moving specifically more back to you, the the person here who asked the question, you said you were thinking about stopping. And as much as I love this hobby, I would never try to force someone to stay. But I would also say this, there are reasons you got in and reasons you stayed for so long. And even though the hobby might feel like an entirely different place now, I think there are still remnants of what it used to be. So, it might not be a bad idea to stick around, albeit in a less active role, right? If you're if you're feeling burnt out by this or feeling frustrated by it, you can stay in, but maybe just step back a little bit. And I'll speak for the community here when I say we value everything you bring to the table and we would sure hate to lose you. All right, well, there you have it. Another good batch of questions as usual. So thanks to you guys for that. Maybe there was something I talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.